0: I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices. Leinster could have me five
1: mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> it is Robbie Robbie Weekly. Magic! The Hello and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly Gavin Casey here in studio in Cork. I'm joined on the line by Murray Kinsella and a very special guest as we start a new four-part series on Rugby Weekly. We're going to do a stock take of all four provinces. We drew names out of a hat. We're kicking off with Munster. And we are delighted to be joined on the line for, a, for uh, the 42 Rugby Weekly podcast debut. Uh, for Mike Sherry. How are you, Mike?
0: I'm very good. Thanks very much.
1: Uh, are you as demented as the rest of us in the current circumstances having to stay indoors as much as possible uh keep the head down and just uh keep trucking away
0: yeah i suppose i am um i have uh, two young kids and a third on the way any day now so i'm busy enough um i get the kids to bed watch the news and record the 6-1 and then i go straight to bed myself Uh, that's that's my days at the minute
2: (laughs) yeah i don't think you're alone in that Murray, how are you keeping since we last spoke? Yeah, I'm good. I've uh, quickly kind of gotten used to the new norm. Um, although I, I played with Mike when I was considerably younger and it kind of surprised me that that's uh, his life now. But I think we're, <laughs> we're all doing that. It's all pretty uh, based at home and, and keeping the head down. So, yeah,
0: all good here. That's, that's temporary now. I'll get back to my old ways when this is over. <laughs>
2: <laughs> when did you play together, lads? What, what kind of year are we talking about? So yeah, that was um, God. It was a long time ago now, really, over a decade. Under under 19s, probably first with Munster, and under 20s, um, and then Mike's career obviously took off, and mine went the other way, and I ended up in sports journalism. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's a great sign of an athlete, to be fair. Uh, to and, uh, to, Mike, to be fair to Murray,
0: some? there uh, I remember playing with Murray very very well. He was uh, a very talented centre, uh, really tall, and we played Irish 19s up in a in a World Cup in Belfast. Um, which was really exciting. We got massive crowds at our games, and um, yeah, I think Murray chose a different path. I uh, I look back at mine, and maybe I should have gone his way. A bit, more, a bit more longevity in what he's done.
2: <laughs> Bonus is on the way Actually, for that. Listen, it's
1: it's never it's never too late to start either. Uh, when you see a, a somebody like a former teammate become a journalist, Mike, is there an element of them going to the dark side a little
0: bit? I suppose when you're when you're in the mix, uh, yes definitely um <laughs> there's no getting around it but look when you're outside you realize that um it's a good career choice it's it's something that we know a lot about like we're uh, coming out of an academy setup or a professional setup you know a lot about rugby and uh the inner workings of it so you've uh you've a leg up i suppose in terms of your knowledge and um yeah, it's a it's a great career. It keeps you involved in something you're obviously very passionate about. Murray played rugby at a very high level, um, and now he's able to pass on his bits of knowledge here and there um, and, and report on it. So I imagine it's quite an enjoyable career.
1: It seems so. Yeah, For, from from this end, looking at it Murray, he, he seems to be doing all right. In fairness to the lad, um, just uh, to give listeners an an idea, really into in or as to what we'll be doing today uh report card as i said a kind of a stock take so we're going to be talking uh, from the monster point of view about new signings young players who can push on to the next level players in the current squad that they maybe need to get more from the coaching team the game plan and all of that sort of thing so mike as a former monster and ireland hooker you were uh, obviously the perfect man to give a shout and talk about all of that but for starters uh, since you stepped away um and pursued pastures anew, which really wasn't wasn't that long ago, only last year. Uh, How has retirement been going? How have you found the last sort of 12, 18 months and that uh, transition, I guess, back into uh, normal life or outside of that bubble of being a professional athlete?
0: Uh it's been interesting. Um I thought I'd struggle a lot more than I have, if I'm being honest. Um, you know, playing for Munster and being in the Munster changing room for training and matches and in that environment was all I thought about from the age of about ten, really, when the whole Munster kind of journey kicked off. Um so leaving it um was daunting, but I think it was definitely the right time for me. My body was screaming at me to stop. Um I'd had a lot of injuries and I was kind of a bit in denial my last 2 years, 3 years maybe of my career, um, telling myself and coaches and anyone that would listen that I could get back to a level where I felt I could contribute and and you know maybe get back to international honors and, and all that kind of stuff, but in reality I was in quite a bit of pain and when I sat down with my wife um when I was out of contract with Monster and I could have Hung around in the summer, maybe pick something up. Interestingly, actually, once I decided to make the decision to retire, a couple of clubs came in, and you know there was the possibility of injury cover, but um, my mind was set at that stage, and um, I got a few few jobs into my body over the summer, uh, and now I'm feeling a lot better and a lot happier. Um, it's not affecting my day-to-day life, which it was at one stage, and um, I'm very happy with the decision.
1: You know when you say you you were in pain like it's something that i I think athletes in similar boats to yourself that are injury blighted over a prolonged period of time they'll mention it and maybe people at home who might have something like chronic back pain might have an an understanding as to what they're talking about but like when in relation to your own injuries like are we talking about a, a constant pain that actually does have a constant impact in in your everyday life like what's it like to deal with that like does it ever become normal that you just sort of have to accept that it's part of what's going on in your body at that particular time
0: yeah well day to day like it was affecting me turning up the radio in the car you know that that motion of putting my arm out and twisting the knobs and whatever else that was painful sleeping on was painful picking my kids up changing nappies uh changing the gear stick, just sitting down on the couch reaching for the remote. All these kind of small day-to-day things were painful. Like, And it was putting me in a bad mood. I was putting on a brave face of training, getting my physio, uh, pounding the physios basically for treatment all day long so that I could get through the day, get through the sessions. And I come home then and I just have a complete energy zap be in a bad mood and it just wasn't fair my wife and my kids and I was doing it selfishly like I said I was lying to myself thinking that I could get back to um, a level where I could compete for international honours and get back in the starting position for Munster but I really couldn't and um, when I sat back and look I've had a bit of time to think about it over the summer and over the last couple of months and it was affecting me physically and mentally it was getting to me and I'm just much happier now that all those small little things aren't coming into my day-to-day life i don't even think about changing the radio changing the gear stick i actually bought a manual or an automatic to get that get rid of that problem but um uh just just that kind of those kind of things were how it was affecting me day to day
2: it's great you've had that the release from mike um tell us about the coaching side of it because obviously you've gone down that avenue with gary owen how's that gone for you
0: yeah i've loved it um we had a really good year we um we won ten out of fourteen games in the league. Uh Con were fourteen from fourteen, so they were definitely the the standard bearers. But uh I was really, really confident in how we could have finished the season and um disappointed obviously with how it ended, but you know, you can't be too disappointed. Every league at every level in every sport is pretty much um gone by the wayside now with the current situation so initially I was a bit disappointed but overall I suppose we can't really be uh we weren't single out it's not only our league that's um suffering from the current situation in the world but from a coaching side I absolutely loved it uh, learned so much throughout the year I was working with two really experienced coaches in, in Conan Doyle and John Staunton and um yeah it was great it, was, it, it gave me my rugby fix and um I didn't really miss playing. I loved the coaching side, the planning, the, the picking teams, the planning sessions, the getting ready for games, all that side. So I absolutely loved it.
1: Was it uh, something that you would would always have had your eye on, Mike, the potential to go into coaching, or was it something that you had to contemplate fairly quickly once you decided to step away as a player? Or were you doing it even as you were playing towards the end?
0: No, something I didn't consider at all. I always thought to myself that I'd hate it. But uh, when you see coaches at a professional level and how much time they have to put in, and they just don't have any time off, play a game on a Saturday, they're reviewing the game straight after they meet on a Sunday to review it and then they're ready to preview back to us about what happened and for the next uh, the next game so there was just no let up and that, that side of it really didn't appeal to me. At club level it's a bit different, it was quite demanding, it was more demanding than I thought in terms of the hours that you had to put in but um, you did get a bit of a respite every now and again um, and uh, the more I got into it the more I loved it and the more it was There was no let up for me. I wanted to go through games and go through clips and everything. So I can see how it became addictive. Everyone was saying to me, you know, you will become addicted to this if it's going well. And, and that was definitely the case.
1: And do you see it as something that you'll pursue in regards to actually becoming a career coach? Or will it be something that you, do, you continue to do, say, at AIL level for... The passion of it like do you do you see actually a future and a potential climbing of the ladder as a coach
0: possibly um you know the right opportunity might come up um and it's definitely something that uh i would consider um cutting my teeth at ail level was was brilliant you know the difference between when i first went out to you know the last couple of weeks in terms of my coaching my delivery of messages my my drills everything was just night and day so the more I do it, the more I feel I can uh, improve and get better and add more to an environment. And as I said, it was giving me my rugby fix. I don't think I can go cold turkey and completely step away from rugby. I, I just loved it too much. Um, so if the right opportunity came up, yeah, it's something I'd definitely consider.
1: And when you find yourself watching rugby now, albeit there's not a great deal to watch at the present moment in time, are you watching it through uh, coaching eye or through that prism like of... Uh of a coach's critical thinking or are you able to still enjoy a game and sit down and watch it the same way as a just a a regular viewer Uh,
0: to tell the truth i actually didn't watch that much other than monster games and you know the big european matches i was watching a lot of club rugby the last last while and and i was i suppose looking at it from a coach's point of view um as opposed to a fan. so yeah it was a a change you know you go to games normally as a player and you'd be there sitting there in a huff that you weren't playing Um, but going to games now you're definitely looking for things that they're doing drills, line up moves uh, even their warm-up stuff that you might be able to bring into your own uh, team so um, that was a shift in focus that I didn't uh, foresee but it was definitely there.
1: And then in in relation to like consuming some of that information and looking around for ideas do you find that other coaches in the game are accessible to sort of brainstorm bounce ideas off is it a sort of a a conversational type of gig uh particularly given like you will have plenty of connections as a former professional player who only stepped away as a player very recently
0: yeah I, uh, the couple of coaches I spoke to were very open as I said I was working with two really experienced coaches at club level for uh, Conan Doyle and John Staunton so they were great guys to bounce ideas off uh, they kind of gave me a free rein to do whatever drills I wanted whatever clips I wanted to show and they kind of they're so experienced in how the whole thing would work timings all that kind of stuff I get a little excited and forget that there's the rest of the session to go so they were good at kind of reining me in that way Um but for instance, you know, Felix Jones is a good sounding board. I would have been very friendly with Felix still am and um if I ever had a question or a, a, you know, a thought about a drill or this, that and the other, he would have been a good guy to talk to JP Ferreira. I met him a couple of times during the year and to discuss defence and you know he was very open to it. Um so yeah, I think coaches are pretty open to that type of thing. And you know, you never know what you might pick up or learn off other people. So um it works both ways.
1: Absolutely. Uh you mentioned that you watch plenty of monster during the year disappointing european campaign obviously and the hope would have been that you without the sort of pressure of european rugby that you use the pro 14 season and and build towards next year and start to really i guess uh, transition into the team in the vision of uh, Van Gran and his support staff, very high-profile support staff. And um, What was your assessment of Munster's performance throughout the season before it was suspended? I guess as a former player and a Monster man, you would have been as disappointed as anybody to see them crash out of Europe at the stage that they did. But were you able to see elements of progress in what they were doing? Um, and what, what was your assessment of I guess a very brief period in which uh, that new coaching staff were starting to uh, implement their changes.
0: It was a strange season, I suppose, with the World Cup and the late start. Um, but I, initially, the kind of the noise coming from the media and everyone else is, oh, they're trying all this new stuff. And then a few results went against them, and it was back to, oh, there's no change at all. So it's kind of hard to, to to see which way it's going. But from my point of view, looking in, um, look, I thought. There was definitely improvement in some of the stuff. There was a couple of close losses that cost them dearly. Um, they were out of Europe. And then the whole kind of narrative changed. But looking down through the squads, you had a lot of young players coming in. Um, I think someone like J.J. Hanron really grew this year, which is a serious positive. Uh, I do think the burn and Carberry injuries were massive. Uh, two world-class players that have been brought in with the hope of, kind of getting Munster over the line in Europe uh, to bridge that gap. They were both gone this year, pretty much, and I think that hit them hard. But a lot of young players were blooded this year. I think Craig Casey's a massive one to be excited about. Shane Daly also um, stood out for me. And then you have the the John Hadnets, the Jack O'Sullivans. Someone like Calvin Ash, who's kind of been forgotten about. But I watched a couple of clips this morning knowing I was coming on chatting. And he scored some great tries this year. Some like Dan Goggin. These guys are there. I'm sure now they'd love to be playing at the minute, but uh, unfortunately the situation is what it is. But it gives them a bit of time now, rest up, and hopefully they can get a bit of pre-season and finish out the year and maybe get a trophy. And and people will look on the season a lot differently if they do get get a trophy at the end of it.
1: That's for sure, yeah. The outlook will be very different indeed. Murray, what was your assessment of it? As Mike says there, uh, first couple of games of the season, even in Europe, you could definitely see like it was perceptible that Monster were trying to do something different when it went south then a little bit in terms of a couple of key results going against them there probably were, were grumblings um, that maybe things hadn't changed all that much at all I don't know would that have been a ca- the case that players were kind of reverting to what they were used to as a, nearly a reflexive reaction to defeat or w- were there still differences that you could have seen um, uh, even after a couple of those results went awry?
2: Yeah definitely I think we saw <clears throat> excuse me I think we saw plenty of signs of Monster trying to progress how they play under Stephen Larkin which was always going to take um, it was always going to take time more than one season they'll it, it, as, as Mike points out it's a very condensed season a very strange one <clears throat> excuse me and the, the fact that they were laid in with the Ireland international back from the World Cup didn't help. It took them time to get up to speed. A lot of the players were, were quite honest about that in, in terms of learning new calls and new plays and new shape. I think you, generally you could see an, an intent to play with a bit more width, to maybe offload a bit more, play inside Munster's own half uh, a little bit more frequently. Um, unfortunately, like a couple, literally just a couple of key results didn't go their way. I look at the Pro 14, they're sitting second in Conference B, just behind Edinburgh, and they actually lost at home in Cork to Edinburgh, which was obviously a really poor result for Munster on home soil against a, a, a kind of key rival. If they win that, they're obviously top of the... Conference as things stand And in Europe The, the home draw to Racing In particular was Really costly um, Obviously very close to, to winning it With that late drop goal attempt From JJ Hanron But they didn't get over the line And not winning your home games In Europe is, is absolutely huge um, Just in terms of the game plan I do think that was always Going to take time And there is probably An understanding there uh, That that was going to be the case Particularly given the season It's been The same really applies With, with Graeme Rountree Who only came in After the World Cup Like Larkin was there uh, for the summer, for the pre-season He had a chance to work with most of the squad But but Roundtree really hasn't had a chance to Maybe put his stamp on things He's probably just come straight in from the World Cup And they're into important matches already So the the break, hopefully this summer uh, And a long pre-season Will allow them to to implement those ideas a little bit more And for players to become a little bit more comfortable with I, I thought there were good signs there though Munster probably did need to Again, they recognise themselves They did need to open up that attacking armoury a little bit more when they got to those semi-finals over the course of several seasons that was maybe where their attacking edge just came up a little bit short against the the very best teams so it always had to go that way and for me it was always going to be a a bit of a kind of longer term process I think next season is where you'll really judge that that coaching team obviously Van Grond's been there since 2017 and is well settled in but um, those other two high profile guys as, as you term them they were going to take a little bit longer to to get those those ideas really bedded in.
1: What was your reaction at the time, Mike, when it was confirmed that Larkham and Roundtree uh, would be joining that backroom staff? Like, uh, did you see it as a massive positive, or like was it very much the case that, well, I guess, ultimately, like. You can have the best coaches in the world, but you also need like the playing personnel that are capable of going on and challenging for European honors. And Monster arguably really haven't had that type of squad over the last sort of five six years. They've been close enough, but uh, not, I suppose, not quite ready to get over the line.
0: I was jealous, if I'm being honest. Um, two world class coaches. Um they were acquired very quickly after uh, Jerry and Felix decided to go their separate ways from Munster, and um, I think that was a great bit of business, and yeah, I was jealous, definitely. Uh, the chance to work with those type of coaches would have been really exciting. I th- I suppose I have a different view on the squad. Uh, I think if you have your first 15 fit and ready to go in Munster, I think they're capable of beating anyone, um, and with an added added bit of uh, international um knowledge I suppose from the coaching side of things from the two the two lads coming in, um, I think they could have given it a real crack this year if everyone had stayed fit but uh, I suppose it's building that depth, you know you look at Leinster, they're constantly being compared with Leinster um, and that depth they have is incredible so it's about getting that and how you do that is the next challenge I suppose for Munster.
1: How do you do it then, Mike? Or do you have ideas yourself as to how that comes about? Maybe the AIL even uh, plays a role in that, which might be a conversation for later on. But just off the top of your head, what would you be thinking in terms of trying to get to that level of depth?
0: You mentioned it there. Um, AIL is is a massive one for me. Um, I think it's Munster's uh, point of difference. I think uh, the strength that... um, the club scene has down here and what it's given Munster over the years initially when they first went on their journey as I mentioned previously um, it was all uh, bedrocked by the strength of club rugby down in Munster and um, it's something that can definitely be used to greater effect and Munster are trying that in fairness I think they've they've recognised that in recent times. Uh, from my point of view I've been a, a club coach this year and we've had far greater access to academy players which was really um, encouraging to see and, and that would be a starting point anyway of, of building a squad depth we don't have the schools down in Munster we just don't and we never will and it's it's unfair to compare our school system with the Leinster school system so that's maybe where we should make up the ground
1: yeah it's a question that Quaylon, uh, Quaylon put to the podcast actually he was saying it's not necessarily Munster related but given Mike's AIL experience does he think more of an effort should be put into bringing it back to a fraction of its former glory players like Simon Zebo, Peter Romani and Jack Carty have all shone at this level, he says. And he was asking, should the IRFU push for more coverage from TV or the media and promote it as a pathway and reduce the amount of young players sitting around in academies and not getting game time, as has been the case, certainly in Leinster and probably in the other provinces as well, to an extent.
0: Yeah, look, it's vitally important that lads get out and play as much rugby as possible, Um, particularly when you're young and you're in the academy and then maybe when you're... Not quite established in the first team in in, in Munster, Leinster, Ulster, Connacht. Wherever you are, um, that you get out and you play rugby, you know some people just aren't playing any rugby. And then when they get their chance from Munster, maybe when the internationals are away and there's a couple of injuries, they haven't played enough rugby to be able to take advantage of that. You know, you need three, four, five games in a row to be up to speed, really peaking. Um, and like momentum, it's all about momentum when you're playing and you're in the zone, you're not even thinking about things when you haven't played a game in two months and you go out and you're playing a high level game in the Pro 14 or European Cup Like it it doesn't come naturally to you so you're not best placed to take advantage of it and put your hand up and say I'm ready to be selected in the bigger games
1: Murray, what about it then as a pathway and the IRFU's role in this, uh, in terms of getting it more exposure really as uh on alludes to is is there more that the IRFU can be doing to uh to, to push this upon people and make it that a little bit more accessible and more attractive to people as it was not that long ago really when you think of oh, look we 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 were talking about uh best foreign imports only last week on the podcast and you think back i remember when i was uh, playing for cork as an under 11 under 12 and people like rog and donigo callan and jim williams are playing for these teams that's probably not possible anymore but as Quaylan says you could maybe rediscover a fraction of that
2: yeah it's obviously a very very different landscape because the provinces are fully professional and that's most people most rugby fans introduction point to the game I i would say a lot of people who follow the provinces and the national team probably haven't been attached to clubs certainly some of the supporters i meet um and that is a shame because you miss out on that sense of community that unbelievable Tight kind of club vibe that, that's a massive part of the game and that many of us have really fond memories of being and are and still are involved in. Um, like the, for the RFU, to be fair, they do try their best to, to promote the league. They've covered on their website, they send out match reports to media publications like ourselves who are obviously stretched covering the professional game, so it is a little bit more difficult. I think the continuation of what Mike's mentioning about. Uh, promising young players and, and contracted players in the provinces being involved uh, and maybe um, making it a little bit more integrated that way with the provinces and, and the clubs and those great coaching connections even Mike meaning upper coaches like that's great to hear because the more connected it is the, the better everyone is going to benefit from it and the more interested supporters are going to be certainly there's a there's more room for people to follow it and uh, for media to report on it but I guess it is a saturated enough market w- with the professional game as well um, so yeah it will, be, it will be brilliant to see it continue to grow and for young players to be playing regularly in it um, you know Munster A and those teams the the kind of second tier teams definitely have a, a role to play and it is important that young players are playing within the, the Munster kind of system or the Leinster system whatever A team it is but I think Club Ruby is is a massive part of the picture as well
1: Yeah, it does seem as though Munster have a a crop of young players at the moment that would probably rank among their best of the last five years, maybe even a decade. Just like really serious talents there in a variety of positions. Bernard Jackman alluded to it on the podcast in the past. It's now about how you manage those players and how you actually bring them on to become uh, the senior players that they're kind of threatening to become or have the potential to become uh, based on an eye test. Uh, give us a run of the rule there uh, of some of those younger talents and how you see them progressing, I suppose, over the next couple of years, albeit that is a fairly uncertain thing.
2: Yeah, there's there's a really nice crop of, of players coming through. Craig Casey, who Mike mentioned earlier, is a prime example of that. Uh, Shannon, RFC man, monster Till He Dies, he... Lives and bleeds uh, for, for the province, I think. He made his Champions Cup debut, obviously, off the bench against the Ospreys. We saw him score a try with pretty much his first touch. And he seems to have a really kind of big personality. His pass is superb. Obviously, a, a smaller guy, even for a scrum half. But he's really gritty and really demanding. And and that's what you want to see from scrum halves. You, you'd expect him to push on. Thomas Ahern, who's playing for the under-20s this year, is, is definitely one to watch as well. Obviously, he'll be a, a little bit later coming through. But he looks like a real freak of an athlete. 6'9" he's got the speed of a back haven't played in, in the back three up until fairly recently uh, and good to see a, a Waterford man from, from Dungarvan initially then Waterpark uh, Rugby Club coming through and, and showing his quality alongside Owen O'Connor in the academy as well Um, it's another one he looks really explosive kind of Sean O'Brien-esque in the acceleration off the, off the mark he's powerful in contact um, and a guy who's a guy who's obviously shone in the, the AIL as well I think he was playing centre for UCC at one stage which would not be a nice task marking him I don't think uh, on a kind of crash ball offset piece um, there's there's loads guys Jake Flannery got a debut against Zebra um, from Tipperary again a different route Ben Healy probably needs a bit more exposure but there are loads there Shane Daly's another one um, and, and then you have Jack O'Sullivan He's one of the guys that's stepping up onto a senior contract along with Casey. Alex McHenry from Cork On, again, really good AIL impression. Anytime I saw them play, he was excellent and, and very creative. Liam Coombs is, is one of those kind of West Cork Mafia, the the winger, and he's, um, he's gone on to a senior deal as, as well as uh, Keenan Knox, who came over from South Africa, obviously, another very different avenue. But um, he's shown real potential, and athletically, I think, Munster are very, very excited about him. So there are lots of promising individuals there but it's it's a case of timing their exposure right playing them in, in the right kind of sort of game so that they can gradually build that confidence and momentum in senior rugby and then I guess pairing them with with players they can learn from and that's a- another part of the picture another really important part is is the recruitment and Munster looked to have done some like world class business in that regard obviously Orgy Snyman and Damien Diolende two World Cup winners who will come in you know Snyman's only 25 is hitting his peak at 28 these are genuinely world class additions from abroad and and anytime the provinces really have have been successful there has been that small little crop even one or two individuals who can make a difference in the biggest games and those are definitely players in that mold like Snyman 6 foot 10 obviously a lot of grunt in the tight but He's got the X-factor of an outside back, really, with his passing and offloading game. He can he can change an attacking game with with his ability to keep the ball alive. Di Allende is, is obviously seen as a bit of a Route 1 merchant at times. He's brilliant at doing that. I've never seen a, a centre of his size get so low to the ground and, and make the gain line every time. But he can also pass and, and kick really well. I think it's underrated, really, the skill he brings in that dimension. Um, they're both coming over from Japan. Um, Bringing real quality with them, and Mac Gallagher is another one coming from Saracens. He's Irish qualified fullback. He's only twenty three, so definitely a scope to to get a lot at, a lot better. But looks like a really good athlete, and um, obviously a good heritage. His father played for the All Blacks in that nineteen eighty seven World Cup, um, so has some uh, good genes. I think. But they're three nice additions for Munster to to go on top of, um I guess the kind of middle tier of their squad. The guys who are kind of Coming towards their mid-20s Who still obviously Have a way to go To be those really senior players um, Then the young crop in, in behind And then you've got Your Ireland internationals And now these New signings on top of it So really the, the the squad is shaping up Very nicely And I totally agree with Mike I think that That first 15 That Munster are able to field If uh, Hoping that Joey Carberry And Byrne come back Fully fit Like that's a really Top class uh, First 15 And I think it's already Going to be good enough Next season to to Challenge for trophies
1: This must be it, this must be it for Ronan O'Gara Drop it, goal, grand stage He's got it! Hello listeners, Gavin Casey here With movement restricted and live sports suspended Murray and I have been putting together our very best Irish 15 of the century for the 42 members To listen to that best 15 series, upcoming Rugby Weekly extra pods and to lend your own suggestions in the Rugby Weekly WhatsApp group as to what you might like us to cover, become a member of the 42 at members.the42.ie Picked up
2: by Ogrisco. here he goes again. Brian Ogrisco is in for a magnificent hat-trick. What a try!
1: Mike, if you were jealous when Larkham and Roundtree came in as coaches, I presume you would be jealous uh, at the prospect of that current Munster crop getting to play alongside two of those new recruits, and particularly the two World Cup winning box.
0: Yeah, geez, I'm getting excited here listening to Murr list out the squad. Um, <laughs> yeah, when I hear it like that, it, it is a really strong squad, a lot of young players, uh, a lot of established Irish internationals, and then you have a few really top class signings, and um, Snyman, he's an absolute freak. Um seeing clips from over in, in Japan just uh, shows what he's capable of if he's given a bit of open space. But as Murray said, he's definitely able for the grunt work. I suppose that's what all South African forwards are, are built on. Um so yeah, the the thoughts of lobbing a ball into him as high as I could throw it and him plucking it out of the air, definitely. Um good for the confidence, great for young hookers to be working with that. Um and you know, from from reports and hearing about them, they're two great guys. Um suppose that South Africans are saying that they don't say a bad word about each other so it's hard to tell but um, really exciting really top class signings and um, can only be a good thing for Munster can only be a good thing for the environment and other players as well seeing these guys come in World Cup winners will drive their standards on and uh, you know, you've seen in the past um, people like Doug Howlett Eze Nassiwa coming in the the impact they've had um, and hopefully these two lads can, can do the same for Munster
2: Carberry, Carberry really feels like the key guy. sorry just to to hammer home that point obviously this season completely ruined by injury you know he was struggling through the ankle at the World Cup you, you kind of feel sorry for him looking at back at it now obviously no one's going to give up that dream of playing at a World Cup but he clearly wasn't right and then the wrist as soon as he got back from that injury and now another ankle kind of clean up while he's out injured so you would just hope that I was watching a video of him bobbing around on his kind of little foot, foot scooter, actually. Um, he's obviously resting up pretty well, but hopefully he's going to come back now in the best shape he's been in for, for several years, having had that extended time out to get everything right. Uh, he's still only 24. He's so young. Um, there's still so much to go for him to get better. And I think it's just very exciting for Munster to have him as, a, as the guy to, to push forward with. Obviously, JJ Hanron has been excellent this season, and that's also brilliant for, for Carby because it'll push him. It'll be making him even more competitive. Um, and we don't know if Carberry's going to be 10 or 15 with Ireland, but I think in Munster he, he looks like that key guy to build it all around because he's got more mature, he's going to have resilience from this like really tough time with injury, but then he has that vision, that footwork, the creative abilities, as well as being a good, strong place kicker as well. So I think it's it's exciting to get him, for, for Munster, it's exciting to get him back fully fit.
1: Yeah, it certainly is. I, I was wondering as well, Mike, um, you touched upon it there, how new recruits carby might have been one of them when he landed down from leinster but i think particularly guys with that little bit more experience international guys uh like snyman and dlna how do they actually impact uh, a team's culture or a team's environment and like when when we hear people say about these players driving on driving on standards and things like that how does that actually manifest itself what what is the the key the sort of main difference that they bring to proceedings be it in training or otherwise
0: I think in Munster we're very, very lucky, um, the standards that are in place already from the years gone by, they're just embedded into to what we do there and I genuinely think if other sports were looking in and could see the the work rate and the standards and everything we do, they'd, we'd be the envy of the sporting world, I really do believe that. So when you have a guy coming in who's already come from a really high um standard of environment like South Africa, like New Zealand, you know, Francis Saeili a couple of years ago, uh, Doug Howlett as I said before and they see that there's guys here that, you know, they might not be getting picked um, week in, week out, they might be sent back to their clubs to play and, you know, ten people in, in, in attendance, you know, it can be quite demoralising sometimes but everything that uh, is done is done at such a high standard um, that it, it motivates them as well and then they can bring their own little twist to things that they've learned from different environments and that that's where they can add um i don't think they'll come in and drive the lads on in terms of their fitness work and all that kind of stuff that's just embedded into what monster do and we're very lucky that way but little skill drills um mindset around certain things um as I said, line-out moves, all that kind of stuff is ever developing in, in, in rugby and um, that's where they can kind of bring their own twist and, and add to the environment.
1: And Murray, you touched upon it then, that sort of, I guess, middle tier of players, guys approaching their mid-twenties or at their mid-twenties now who are sort of somewhere between being prospects and being senior figures in that squad. Uh, there are a number of them at Munster that... Um, have certainly got have shown prodigious talent over the last few years, and probably a few of them that need to kick on as well. Uh, give us your assessment of, of some of those guys and some of the players at Munster, probably some of the existing players at Munster that Johan van Gran and his coaching staff will probably be looking towards in terms of getting more out of them over the, the coming years, particularly if they are going to launch uh, a Champions Cup challenge next season.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think that the challenge really is for van Gran to get them on the pitch. Like... I don't think anyone is in particular standing out as underperforming or not fulfilling the potential but it's just a a case of getting out there and getting the opportunities like Mike mentions Calvin Nash a guy who when he has gotten those opportunities has looked really good Uh, I can think of his most recent game where he's winning jackal turnovers on the wing being physical but then he's generally going to drop out of the team when when Ireland internationals are back you have guys like Witcherly and Coombs they're only 22 still so very young but again it's about getting that exposure on the pitch because they, they do look good Witcherly looks so aggressive he looks like that kind of enforcer figure and Coombs is obviously um, quite dynamic and, and can play in locker or in the back row as well so there's so much potential there someone I think of as well who struggled with injury as well as Darren Sweetenham who's had I think four appearances this season that he had a long-term hamstring injury but has so much potential he's only 26 um, he has Ireland caps obviously and I think can be he's proven he can be a, a brilliant player he's so good in the air incredible athlete like so quick and, and hard working as well if he can get fully fit again and put some pressure on Earls and Conway it's, it just makes everything better it makes the, the, the two of those guys push their performance levels a little bit higher Um, and then sweeten him if he gets back to what he can do is a massive weapon from for Munster <clears throat> I think something similar with Byrne who we've mentioned Ty Byrne he ha- obviously a disappointing season for him didn't quite get the World Cup chances he wanted and then that injury so we didn't get to see what we w- might have expected to be a kind of real breakout season of his quality back at Munster um, he's shown again how, how class he can be when he's at his best jackaling changing games that way being really mobile around the pitch um, y- you look at other guys like Chris Clute, who's contracted there in Munster till 2022 an amazing jackal when he's at his best like incredible athlete obviously probably needs to work on his discipline a little, a little bit but I think Van will feel he can get more out of guys like that um, and certainly more consistency uh, in, in their game um, Chris Farrell's another one who again, I'm not I'm not saying he had a poor season by any means but I think Munster can probably get a bit more out of him he can be a really dominant figure in midfield I think, um, obviously this season with the adaptation of their attack and, and maybe shifting things around it wasn't always really fluid and fluent at times when it did work I thought he was a massively important part of it, either using that skill set he has in, in handling or as that kind of decoy figure who who's able to sit down a couple of defenders with the threat of his big powerful carry, so there there's all sorts of players like that who are who are there and, and ready to, to kick on a bit. Actually I'm interested in asking Mike about um the hooker the hooker position, because Kevin O'Burn's done really well any time I've seen him play this season. Reese Marshall really struggled with injury obviously as well. And Noel Scannell, unfortunate to drop out of the Ireland picture. How do you see that that position in, in, in particular shaping up, Mike?
0: Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, I think Obi uh, Kev Burn has done really well. Uh, like he, he's won quite a lot of man of the matches actually over the last two years. He's um, he's a guy that has a lot of a lot of skill. Like he's a very skillful player, um, and I think he's tightened up his throwing and his scrummaging, um, and really, really fit. Like the last couple of years, he's really worked on his fitness, and more often than not, he's out ahead when it comes to fitness drills in pre season. So it's it's good to see him getting a, getting a run. I think the last maybe 3 years during preseason right before the first game of maybe the preseason game or the first game of the season he picked up niggly injuries and that kind of set him back. Maybe gave Reese a chance, maybe gave myself a chance when he was looking really good during preseason. So I think he got a really good preseason done this year, came into the season fit and and he's taken his chance. Reese, unfortunately struggling with injuries this this little window now will give him a chance to to heal up and put pressure on and then Niall look I think Niall's a really good player nothing's changed in his game he was unlucky not to get picked um up in the Irish squad but he might use that as motivation well not he might he will use that as motivation now um and bring his game on maybe he, they've told him to work in a few areas look we all know he's a very strong set piece player but maybe they've said bring a bit more dynamism into your game, and, and that's might might be something he could work on. Uh, one one young hooker that doesn't get a lot of uh, mention because the three lads are, are so good is Dermot Barron. I've worked with him in Gary Owen this year, and he's a really, really good player. Um, really fast, good at set-piece, um, and he's someone that I'd have high hopes for coming through. Um, just on Murray there talking about the kind of the Mid tier group, and, and a fella. I'm surprised he didn't mention to get the Waterford mention in, but uh, Jack, I don't know who.
2: Well, he's been one of the standout players, really.
0: Yeah, he's been brilliant this year, really impressed with him. Has really stepped up the mark and he's got his chances. Um, on the on to- the side on a couple of occasions, and it's great to see. Like, Jack is another incredible athlete. Um, was up with Ireland um, in the extended panel for the Six Nations, so that was great to see. And look, I'd love to see him kick on again because think he's shown how good he can be and the more games a guy like him plays the better he'll get Um so that was really encouraging I was delighted to see Jack kick on this year yeah
2: absolutely I think he's almost kind of taken up that Peter Manny role kind of adding to his dynamic play you've seen him like he's destroying opposition malls regularly in games and he's making line out turnovers he's jumping brilliantly so it's been great to see his entire game develop really because when I remember watching him as, as a kid in water park it was Obviously, all about that dynamic ball carrying, his his skill set on the ball, but he's really rounded out his game and, and definitely pushed hard in, in that Ireland squad as well. And even actually, we, we got a question from John Boyle on Instagram. He was saying about where do Munster go next with the captaincy after Peter O'Mahony? I think Peter O'Mahony will have uh, ambitions planned for quite some years yet, but Jack O'Donoghue, I think, will be a guy who's in that mix because his consistency is really getting there now and, and obviously a, a well-proven leader, as you mentioned as well. So, yeah, brilliant to see. For Van Granit and Co, that he's pushed on to that next level. Yeah, I was going to land that
1: question at Mike. Actually, John John's question about the next monster captain. Obviously, you, you'd have loads of friends in the dressing room still, Mike. And um, I I don't want to set you up to dig any holes for yourself. <laughs> but would would or oh, don't know who be in the in the mix there as a prospective successor to Omani. And like, because to be fair, and one one of the uh, things that Boyle mentioned. Uh, sorry, John Boyle mentioned, would have been that there aren't too many uh, standout candidates from the outside looking in uh, to succeed Pete as, as like, people who you would have said, yeah, definite future monster captain.
0: 100% Jack um, would be um, top of my list anyway at the minute. Um, I think Pete, is Pete 30 yet? Has he even turned no, 30? No. Maybe he's just turned 30, 29? Yeah, so... Um, Look, there's a couple of years left in him at least. But there's also, like, he doesn't have to be captain until the end of his career. You know, it it might be nice for um, captains who have been in the role for a long time to get a break from it and it might let them concentrate in their game. So just because someone might be, it's not necessarily they're stripped of the captaincy. They might move it on to someone else for a lot of different reasons. And Jack is definitely someone that um, has put his hand up. He's probably become a first-choice player this year. um, And that's probably the main main requirement for someone to be named as your captain you have to have him guaranteed a spot and i think jack for the big games is in there at the minute so he's he's an option um to be honest i can see them leaving pete as in situ for um quite a number of years because i think he's excellent at it he's and how long has he been captain now a monster five six seven years um so he's well used to it i'm sure he doesn't even think about it at this stage um but yeah it's great to have options like that um I was going to say someone like killer but um i don't know if he's uh he fit the, the requirements <laughs> sorry oh, just what? just clarify there as well, like peter manny is 30
2: he's an old man like myself and mike just to clarify okay i'm, I'm 31
1: <laughs> yeah well yeah i know zeebo turned 30 the other day so i was trying to figure out obviously pete and him are around the the same age bracket but um like, it, it, like, when you say that you can see uh, Omani playing on for a number of years, uh, and I suppose this is a question to both of you. I'll start with Mike, but, um, like, are we talking two, three years? Like, to be fair, he has had his uh, issues in the past, major surgeries, things like that. I know, like, in the past, for example, he would have turned down moves to France, I think, because he was kind of looking at the extra games he would have had to play and how the body might have held up in those situations. Now he has had... Uh, surgery since then may have fixed those issues. It, can you see a player like Omani playing till sort of 35, given the style of play he brings to proceedings, and when you see what happened uh, to the likes of, say, Sam Warburton, who just said enough is enough?
0: I can, yeah. Um, Pete just absolutely loves rugby. I think it's well documented now that he was obsessed from a young age all the way through school. Um, and it's just it his... It, it um, it's his purpose in life to be a professional rugby player, to be captain of Munster, um, it's what what he was born to do, I suppose, um, and he's in relatively good nick, you know, he's had his couple of surgeries, but um, I think in the last couple of years he's really upped his game in terms of um, training and looking after himself, and you know, the older you get and the more experienced you get, you kind of um, have to rely on that a bit more, and He's someone that's there week in, week out, doing every session, um, every weight session, every pitch session there the whole time and might be a bit tiring at times and sometimes your body might be sore but overall getting that that training into you helps you in the long run and um, over the last couple of years he's had an uh, injury-free run and it's definitely going to help his career in the, in the long term I think and I can see him playing on to 35, 36, yeah definitely.
1: What do you make of some of the criticism that has been leveled at him in a green jersey, really, um, over the past, say, 12 months, Mike? He seems to be, like, the if you were speaking down a pub or speaking to friends, he's nearly one of the first names on the chopping block when things are going badly for Ireland. I suppose people would say that some of the so-called unseen work that he does is actually non-existent, or that certainly that'll be the sort of bone of contention on their end how do you think he's performed for ireland like can ireland expect more of him or has he actually been playing better than people
0: believe it's a strange one because like you say he does seem to get um a lot of flack um i think stats for number six particularly a guy like him are are not really relevant he's thrown up at the front of lineouts. um and those are massive moments when he uh, steals a ball at the front of a line-out and psychs a hooker into basically just throwing the ball into his hands. And sometimes that's overlooked. And they're they're massive moments and momentum shifts. But if he doesn't win the ball, he's then holding that side of the pitch. And he's not there for, for tackles in the middle of the pitch. And like sometimes it's not fair to compare CJ, who has 20 carries a game, because he's carrying off maybe... Five or six kickoffs straight into his hands. He's carrying off plays from the, from lineouts where he's been hit up into the middle of the pitch, and it's not really like like when you're comparing those stats. Um, from, from playing with Pete and watching him closely over the last ten, twelve years, he has such an impact in how lads approach a game, and then his own big moments in games. They've become almost um, second nature and taken for granted. But these are big moments that they take a lot of energy out of players to do the things he's doing so that can kind of get overlooked and I think some of the criticism on him is quite unfair at times look he could have played better there's no doubt about it at certain certain times over the last uh, couple of years but our last couple of months but um overall I think he's well worth his place and he's responded really well since the world cup I think he played uh, excellently in the first couple of games of the Six Nations in fairness to him um and, you know, that's the best way to answer your critics. And I think he's done that very well.
1: When you say he, what he does sort of impacts fellow's uh, fella's approaches to a game, what, what do you mean by that?
0: He brings a certain edge in training during the week. He focuses the minds. He speaks really well in meetings. He's, his messaging is clear. It's concise. There's no waffle. Um, he lays down the law really well. If anyone, you know, isn't pulling their way, if anyone is making a point in a meeting that has no relevance, if anyone is off task he's the he's the guy to put you back on task and um as i said focus the minds and you know before a game he's good fellow to say the right thing doesn't waffle on and that can have a massive impact and that's maybe taken for granted by players as well you know that's that's an important role
1: absolutely yeah it's interesting um and certainly even speaking to <laughs> i remember doing doing the event uh murray with simon Zebo, was it last year and I know. I know. Like a few years ago, like there would have been a, a story that that uh, filtered through through us about about Zebo being on the receiving end of of one of those dressing downs at a meeting. Um, uh, no, no prisoners taken. Obviously, even though they were they were friends. Um, in terms of where Monster go next, then uh, looking at next season, Murray and and all of the things that both of you guys have alluded to, uh, like if you can sort of combine them, then Monster will be in a very <laughs> uh, potentially fruitful position say this time next year as we approach the business end of a season what's the most important thing for you that, that they need to either change or persist with or just sort of get right in order to take that next step that they've kind of been threatening to take over the last 6-7 uh, years, get beyond the semi-final in Europe and actually really uh, launch a challenge and, and win a European Cup?
2: Yeah, for me, it's it's that cutting edge in attack that we mentioned earlier on. And I think they're really well-primed to bring that. I, I think one of the... one of the Probably the worst performance of the season, maybe even, actually, from Munster was the Ulster away game in, in early January, where they were really kind of lateral in attack. It was slightly muddy, and they're thinking it was almost like they were caught between two mines, and they almost forgot about getting that gain line and winning that. You think about that team that we kind of... Potential 15 were looking at with carriers like Dielende, Snyman... Um, players like that Chris Farrell you know there's a huge amount of people who can get you over the game line and then allow you to to flourish with players like Carberry and the more creative side of things and use your back three so I think they have a, a perfect kind of setup to have a really kind of balanced attacking game where they're not completely slavish to passing the ball to width early on where they can take people on physically in that kind of more traditional Munster style as well as having a really well developed kicking game which was I know a big goal for the coaching team at the start of the season to, like they'd identified that the kicking game was obviously huge in, in rugby now, particularly those a- attacking kicks where you're chipping and you're diagonal kicking and, and you're posing all sorts of questions and I think that can definitely continue to improve Um, with, with Carberry and, and even Rory Scannon when he's playing can bring that with his, his brilliant left foot a guy who's been so consistent for Munster so I think they're well placed to have that balanced attacking game plan, for me that's the biggest uh, point of difference that, that, that can actually get them beyond those semi-finals is coming up against the very best defences and having those even if, even if it's just one or two big moments in attack but they're the ones that finally crack that um, defensive door and get you over the line Round 3 will obviously bring more of his kind of edge and, and bite in the Munster pack as as things develop building on a really good foundation there and then JP Ferreira obviously the Munster defense has has been excellent the last couple of seasons as well so there, there's really good foundation for for the team moving forward but I think just adding those little bits of attacking edge are, are really going to make a difference
1: Mike you're taking it how did they kick on and just take that very final step towards um, well th- this this generation of players actually finally lifting a, a European trophy
0: I think Mars nailed it on the head there. Um, I think their forward play um, is at a level where they can definitely compete. Um, I do think they need that extra little bit of spark in attack and that will take time. That's the It's the hardest thing to coach for, for a reason um, and for players to, to get it and for it to click. It takes weeks and months and repetition after repetition um, to get your skills to that level, to work on those plays and to embed that system. So that is the main thing that's maybe held them back uh, at the crucial moment in semi-finals and finals over the last couple of years. And as you say, it is a generation of players. You have Earlsey, Murray, Pete, um, who else? I'm going blank here. Those lads, that the Irish, the regulars up in Ireland, you've Byrne, uh, Farrell, Carberry, they're all up there and they're all playing regularly at international level. And you, know, you want these guys to... To actually have a bit of silverware or something tangible at the end of their career at Munster and I know it would be a massive regret of that kind of uh, group of players not to, not to capitalise on, on their obvious talent um, I suppose when you look at Leinster and all the trophies they have in their golden generation it's hard to it's hard to take sometimes when, when you think of the talent that Munster have and, and the chances that they've had over the last couple of years and hopefully um, before these lads um, go off into the sunset they can have a couple of a big days out in, in the league and in Europe
1: Yeah, sounds like a plan Mike, it's been an absolute pleasure, we'll have you on again no doubt, and uh, a fantastic debut, very strong
0: Thank you very much, appreciate it, enjoyed that
1: Super. And Murray, thanks a million. We'll catch you again. We'll be back
2: Monday for a members' spot. Yeah, looking forward to that. Thanks a million, Mike. An absolute pleasure to to work with you again all these years later.
0: (laughs) Cheers, Mark. Appreciate it.
1: (laughs) Thank you, gents, and thank you to everybody at home for listening as well. Hope you're all well, your family members and friends are well, and uh, we will be back, as I say, for a member's podcast on Monday, and then back for a regular podcast again on Thursday, with the next in line in our I don't know what we'll call it, report card series maybe. Um, the next province up anyway, we'll decide during the week. Until then, take it easy.
0: I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices. Leinster could have me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> <laughs> it is Chavino!
1: Robbie, Robbie, weekly. The first pass. Go! Go!